beautiful. If you are listening to this live, I want to let you know that I am teaching a free workshop today for anyone who is curious, aspiring, or already off and running in making money on the side, having a side gig, starting a business, scale in a business real big with my free workshop called The Easiest Way to Launch Your Next Product or Service in the Next 3 to 30 Days. Also, the doors for my brand new course for 2020, Creative Business Accelerator, are open right now for one week only. I will talk about that at the end of the workshop if you want to hear more, and you can also check that out at the link below. I want to help one more round of entrepreneurs really move their business forward as we head into the fall, reclaim the momentum of 2020, and prepare some of you to be ready to join me in my Elegant Excellence Mastermind, which opens in December for January, and this is the perfect first step to lay that foundation. So today, if what I'm sharing in this episode resonates with you, I also want you to know this is a key part of my approach to business essentialism, work-life balance, mental and emotional health, what I call elegant excellence. So let's get into it. Bloody oath, this week is a good one. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Happy Wednesday, friend. I am nerdily excited to talk about this topic with you today, coming from a book that I started reading in March, which is seven months ago. I have spent the entire global pandemic to date making my way through this book, which is called How to Do Nothing, a really appealing title. The cover is these beautiful flowers, a really appealing cover. You open up the book. And I'll be honest, it's a bit of a slog, and I am very cautious never to give criticism, if I can help it, to other businesses, other offers, authors. I am very supportive of the author who wrote this book, and I would hate to ever sound like I'm criticizing another author. But I also always want to give you really honest recommendations, and this is not necessarily a book that I would recommend everyone go out and run and buy, because it is much more academic than the title and the cover would lead you to believe. It takes some work reading through it, and so it took me a lot of months to get through it, but I'm so grateful that I did. It really blessed me and gave me so much insight, really deeply resonating with core tenets that I've been working on in my life for years and am further working on during this uh, COVID pandemic, and it just gave me some extra language and some fresh challenges around this topic. So these are things that we've already discussed if you have been with me for a while, and we're just going to go deeper and kind of look at them from another angle that I think actually is going to give you so much joy, freedom, and permission. So let's start by talking about this concept of doing nothing. I would say it is the opposite of not just busyness, but productivity where we're really trying to make things happen. We're trying to make the most of our time. And that's a really wonderful thing. We want to be productive. We want to be moving things forward. We want to be growing and getting better. But beneath that, there is an undercurrent that can say in our busyness and productivity that the present 
time, place, and people are not enough. The money we have right now isn't enough, so we are trying to be productive to make more. The the home we have isn't quite good enough, so we are working product productively to uh, do renovations and to redecorate and to get more stuff. We're, we're checking things off our to-do list because things aren't okay just as they are. And again, that is not inherently bad, but when we look at the fact that the opposite of that is being present, and I think that... The idea of being present sounds appealing to a lot of us. It is why we are trying to do, I say trying because I am not actively doing, meditation and yoga and all of the things, that that intention of being present. And some of the things we do when we're present are appreciate solitude, for example. Sometimes that is a less productive place to be in than I'm spending time with my kids and, and my spouse and my friends and I'm volunteering and I'm really being productive in these ways. Maybe it's just solitude. Maybe it's observation. That has been a big one for me during COVID and especially as we get more and more months into it and I feel like the layers get peeled back even more for me into slowness, realizing the gift of presence is observing my thoughts my inclinations, the things I say about myself but then I don't really follow through with, the negative stories that I have that cause me anxiety. I've observed so much more about my thoughts and my emotions as I have just had less option in this season to be less productive. And I always note in saying that that I feel we are very 50-50 from all my conversations and polls in this community. Half of us have way less time, predominantly because of having kids home with distance learning, and half of us have way more time. So while we are not all in this space right now, those that are busier also know that it is a season that will come to an end and there will be more opportunity for this. But I think it's even within this season, as we touched on last week, even within the busyness, we still can shift to release some of this productivity and busyness. And also what the author calls simple conviviality, which I love that phrase. It feels like something Jane Austen would write. Um, And I think that simple conviviality seems like you're just sitting on a chair, having a cup of tea, looking out at the English moors and the English countryside, right? You're just having a chat with a girlfriend. It makes me want to speak in a British accent because that's what Jane Austen would do. Simple conviviality feels so relaxing, so light (laughs) that it isn't this idea of, okay, so we had a baby shower and then we have the, um, the housewarming over there and then we need to run to Lowe's in the middle because you know we got to get that stuff to uh, update the bathroom all of that is different than the simple conviviality of I don't know we just played around uh, in the pool with the kids today that was that was that so I had this vision that if we think of our energy as a spectrum that we tend to focus very often on the polar ends of it also, I notice as a general moderate, as someone who loves to live in the gray space and the the and in between, that we are drawn most often to that black and white perspective of things, to all or nothing, to this or that. And so I think when it comes to productivity, we can often see that one side is, you know, let's say all the way over on the left of the spectrum is zoning out laziness. You're just piecing out. It's purple, purpose, 
purposeless, purposefulless. You know what I'm saying? And I, that's great sometimes. We all need to have those times where like, I just zoned out and watched a movie. I just Netflix binge. I just read a fluffy novel for the heck of it. Yeah, no worries. We want to have some of those times. And then on the other side, the other end of the spectrum, let's say all the way over to the right, is extreme productivity busyness, hustle, making things happen, time blocking, seriously to do serious to-do list. You know, we're in that season where we're making things happen. Again, not bad, but we know we can't live there all the time. We know that that leads to burnout and exhaustion. So I find that we tend to pour into that, you know, 80% and then crash and give ourselves 10% of the zoning out and ultimately feel unfulfilled or let's say 20% of the zoning out and then we feel like you know 20% really feels like too much of my life to be watching keeping up with the Kardashians and the bachelor like I feel guilty that I'm doing that because it feels like it's too much or because I'm so focused on this productivity I feel guilty giving any of that time to it but my only other option is productivity and is chase and is accomplishment and success and ego-driven and all in competition and all of that and consumerism. And so I'm so exhausted by living so much of my life in that, that we don't have this middle gray area, which I am coming to appreciate, see, and understand in a new way. And in many ways, this book by Jenny O'Dell helped give me some language as well as the gift of the global pandemic obviously meaning in a beauty out of ashes sort of way. Not glad it's here, but we find the silver linings. So what if in that spectrum, on that spectrum, we also had a point of just sinking into presence. It's not all the way over to the extreme left of zoning out laziness, but it's that space of observing, of Waking up, noticing the things that are happening in your head and your heart, noticing something in your spouse or your kid or your friend in a different way because you actually slowed down to notice. Noticing things that are happening in the world because you had the time not just to read the headline or the quick soundbite, but you actually dug deeper into what is that actually about? What are my real opinions on that? If I if I educate myself more on the topic, what would I really think and feel about this? But it requires time in order to be able to do that. And the other area of that gray space is the author calls it moving towards people and places. And I like I got the idea, the vision of this is when we're kind of just wandering. We're walking slowly. You know, if you're trying to be productive in your relationships, in your spaces, you are having a power lunch with that girlfriend. You are power walking your way through Paris because you only have 48 hours here and you are going to make the most of it. Gosh darn it. We all have those times in our lives when we are really trying to be productive with the people in our lives. We, you know, I've got, I've got 45 minutes where I can have this uh, this tea date and then I, then I got to go. I mentioned earlier I had the baby shower. And the housewarming party, and they're both at the same time, and I'm trying to get to both of them. So we really got to be paying attention to our watch, babe, because we can only be here for 45 minutes, and then we're going to got to hop in the car because there could be traffic to get across town. That is, we're, we're, we're spending time with people, or we might be present in the place of Paris, but we are so focused on productivity and busyness and that scarcity mentality that we're not just wandering and walking slowly, that that exists more in this in-between space 
of the, the doing nothing. And really, I think it's exploring how to stop doing or care, caring about, prioritizing, idealizing things that don't matter as much. Sometimes they're things that don't matter at all. Sometimes they are things that matter less. I've shared this scarcity since I just happened to mention Paris it comes to mind that I've shared this scarcity I experience sometimes when we're traveling that there's a sense of well shouldn't we and of course that word should shouldn't we be going to the Eiffel Tower and going to see all of the sights I don't know is that what really matters 10 years later that you saw the museums, but you flew through them, but you can say that you went to the museums? Or is what really matters that you got the essence of Paris and you noticed how you felt in Paris and the, the inspiration of Paris and you were called the feeling of Paris, not just being able to prove the checklist of places that you went to. Now, obviously, I'm a little biased because I've done an episode on uh, travel personality types, and mine is more just being in a place. But I think that's what this book helped just give me a little extra language for, oh, yeah, that's why I have that inclination and why I'll tip my hand and say, I think it's the better way to travel. I, I teach about you can do, have, or be. Are you looking for having all the best food and the... Um, the, the the shopping and all of that, or are you trying to do, get to all of the museums, or are you just being? And my favorite way to travel is to just sit outdoors somewhere and people watch and just kind of be in the environment. And I think that it is that gray area place, this in-between place of, I'm going to go to Paris and I might do nothing for some of the time. But doing nothing is absolutely not pointless or meaningless. That's the area over on the far left end of the spectrum of pure, lazy, fluff sugar. There's still nutrients. It is edifying. And that's the, the big word that I've come back to for myself. It is edifying when we are doing nothing. As much as I enjoy watching the Bachelor franchise and talking to some of my girlfriends about it, it's not really edifying to my life. It's just pure entertainment and no, no guilt and judgment about that. Have those things. But what does it mean to be edifying without it being the same thing as being productive? I checked the things off the list. I created the Instagram content, the social media content to show people that I had been here. So instead of prioritizing, idealizing all these accomplishments and productivity, what we are instead prioritizing in this in-between space are our thoughts. Noticing what we're thinking, what emotions, what's coming up for us. Why, why do I love that woman's outfit that I see walking down the street in Paris? What do I notice about the smells here and the people who are playing music and the kinds of people that, that are out? It's observation. It's noticing our thoughts. It's prioritizing our relationships, that we are much more present with people. I've mentioned how I had conversations, pivotal conversations with two girlfriends last summer that really helped me realize we had different, we, we received different value from friendships. And in both of them, because their lives were so busy, they, I feel, really look at friendship as 
what is the most efficient, effective, productive way that I can do this? And one of them said, I would rather go to an event where I'm going to see 20 people because I feel like I've gotten touch points with all of those people. I don't really prioritize as much the the one-on-one or the small group. Now, these friends don't listen to the podcast, but I, I, again, will tip my hand and say, I obviously it's my perspective, so I think that it's better. I prefer the perspective, and I see having read this book, the wisdom of the perspective that says, you know, maybe I'm going to see less friends. I'm going to have less social uh, um, obligations, but I'm going to go deeper in those relationships. And I think about Two times recently where a girlfriend and I have gotten together since I've been back in New York and we just spend hours just sitting in the park or lying on my balcony just talking about all manner of stuff. It's truly the simple conviviality. And I've seen her as one person instead of going to some event, which was also very fun, where I saw a lot of people on a very surfacey level. But this in-between space allows us to give time to prioritize those relationships. It also allows us to prioritize nature, which I'll say is a word that doesn't really resonate with me. And it was actually one of my challenges in this book, that she talks a lot about nature. And she's into bird watching, and that just didn't really resonate with me. And she talked a lot about certain historical parks in San Francisco. I'm not from San Francisco. I couldn't really picture it. And so I would not say, oh, I'm a big nature girl. Um, yeah, my, my family is not real outdoorsy. Um, so I don't think of myself as a nature girl. But then I thought, well, what is the opposite of nature? And in some ways, I think it's technology. It's like man-made beauty versus, uh, versus natural beauty. So when we're on technology, our, our face is down and we're not taking any of these things in. And I realized, actually, no, I am so happy when I'm in nature. I just associate nature with people going on hikes and camping. But actually, I love being on a boat sitting or walking on a beach, occasionally riding a bicycle, sitting on a bench in a park, or sitting on the banks of a river. And if I am not documenting it the whole time or missing it because I'm actually looking down, I'm sitting on the banks of this river, but I'm scrolling Instagram the whole time. Okay, I'm choosing technology over being present. But if I have a podcast in or an audiobook or some music, that's great because my eyes are up and I'm looking and I'm taking in nature. I also realize nature is the opposite of consumerism in some ways. How often do we spend our time online shopping or shopping or running errands or looking for holes to fill? This is another thing I've noticed about myself during quarantine is that I am used to a pretty regular stream of shopping and buying things. Now, I'm I don't spend a ton of money. I'm not a shopaholic. This is not an addiction. I I actually add very few clothes to my wardrobe for the fact that I'm a professional stylist. But I have had so many back-to-back seasons where I was filming a bunch of stuff or I was speaking or I was doing stuff on camera. So I needed more clothes. And then I was planning a wedding. So we needed all the stuff for that. And then we moved into a new house. And so I needed all the stuff to decorate this. And now saying, you know, our house is done. Can I keep buying little extra trinkets to fuss with these corners? I mean, I can, but what is that really accomplishing? I kind of have all the clothes that I need for quarantine. I mean, could I buy some new stuff? Yeah, but do I really need it? And so I've just noticed in questions for myself, nature is beauty. 
and uh, in art is beauty. She also speaks a lot in here about going to museums and different modern art exhibits. I'm not really into modern art. It didn't really connect with me. But as I thought about it afterwards, that nature and art, that is beauty. And I deeply believe in the importance and the value of beauty, that we live in homes that inspire us, that we wear clothes that make us feel beautiful, uh, that we are inspired by the restaurants that we go sit in or the aesthetics of the cities that we go visit or, or being out in nature. I think all of that is so important. But I also realize there is a, a balance between appreciating it and then acknowledging that you've had, that you have enough. That I so deeply value having a beautiful home and a beautiful closet and being surrounded by gorgeous aesthetics. But at what point do I then say, the home is beautiful and I have enough. My closet is making me beautiful and I have enough. And something the author said that I was really struck by is that we so often see this nothingness. The idea of, you know, I just want to do nothing. And it is that pure zoning out. It's all the way to the left of the spectrum. It's just the pure, Jeremy and I joke sometimes when we've been on vacation, we're chilling so hard. Like when we went on our first honeymoon after our elopement, we were so exhausted. We absolutely should not have gone to Greece. Here's my advice. Do not go on some fancy honeymoon right after your wedding because you're so exhausted. All you want to do is lie by the pool and sleep. So it does not matter where in the world you are. Do not take a long plane flight. Do not spring for the super expensive suite. Just go someplace and just rest. And then when you have energy, go on a trip for your you know six month or one year anniversary. And that that specific trip, we kept joking, we've never chilled so hard. We are just chilling so hard. And now it just becomes a, a running joke for us at times when we notice, oh, we're chilling so hard. But we had to chill so hard because we were flipping exhausted. We were so burnt out from planning two weddings, one of them being a surprise, both of them being international. And so the intention a lot of times is that we're going to go do nothing and completely zone out and be lazy and chill so hard so that we can return to then be productive. I'm going to go on vacation so that I come back feeling more rested for my work. And what the author, Jenny, talks about is this is instead saying the whole point is simply to be rested as a state of being, not so that you can be more productive. And I think specifically because I, I talk to so many entrepreneurs that that is often where it comes from. I, I'm focused on the rest only because... I'm so burnt out or I hear people talk about getting burnt out. I don't want to get burnt out. And therefore, to, in order to stay optimally productive, I need to get enough rest. This is a little bit different. This is saying, yes, okay. And also, there's this gray area on the spectrum that says, this is also just how you want to be through life. You don't want it to be this toggling back and forth between sprint, sprint, sprint till you're about to get burnt out crash so hard, chill so hard, revamp up and get back into it. And I had realized this back in 2016 when I went on sabbatical. I left for six weeks, didn't feel like I had whatever I was looking for at the end of that, didn't get on the flight in Paris, stayed for four months. And something that came to me during that time was the idea that all I was, the first few months of my sabbatical, even though it was months and let me say, I'm well aware that most people do not get the opportunity to do that. 
I also acknowledge I had worked my tail off for four years to get to that point. And I was on that place of burnout of, I just can't do this anymore. I have to take a serious break. But the first three months of that sabbatical, I started to realize this is a two-inch buffer. This is less burnt out and less exhausted now, but I'm not building up anything that is going to change when I go back. I'm going to get right back into it when I return home. And so I started to think of this concept of the the 10-inch buffer, where you really, as a lifestyle, have more of that rest and spaciousness built in so it isn't when you're, you know, you're screeching your, uh, your metal against the the road on the bottom of the car, I really shouldn't use vehicle analogies because I don't own a car. I don't know what I'm talking about. But you know what I mean. Well, we picture like no buffer on wheels, like no buffer on the tread of a car. It's like scraping on the bottom. Like there's there's no buffer on the brakes and you can hear them screeching if you've ever been in an uh, old cab in New York City. That, yeah, we don't want to go back and forth between, oh, it's so uncomfortable. Let's get a little bit of buffer. And then we're immediately going to run it back down again. We want to always live where it feels like there's a little bit of cushion. And therefore, when the bumps of life happen, they are not so painful. So I came to call that pursuit elegant excellence, wanting to have a true lifestyle where I had that spaciousness in it. Something that the author talks about is the the phrase attention economy, which I had first heard from uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, who's a very brash, you know, out there, foul-mouthed uh, entrepreneur. And yet he always talks about that really it's a game of attention, People are trying to get our attention, to keep our attention on social media apps, on television programming, on commercials, on whatever it is. They're trying to get our attention on magazines and on billboards. Ultimately, that is what marketing is all about, is getting our attention. And I really appreciated that what Jenny said is there is so much financial incentive to keep us anxious, envious, and distracted. And I knew this on the style side. I just hadn't thought about it overall. I know as someone who explores what makes women feel beautiful, as a style expert, I'm very aware of the marketing narratives that come at us as women to buy more, weigh less, look younger. That is all about anxiety over aging so that we can be sold serums. It is about envy over what other people's bodies look like. So, you know, buy these things to lose weight. It is about the distraction from not being happy with your life, not feeling fulfilled. So buy some more things and the things themselves will be the answer. But I then started to think about it just overall in life, as I kind of mentioned earlier, that balance between, sure, we are sometimes going to want to buy things, but where is the tipping point that we are just in a constant state of buying things and therefore just increasing the cost of our living as opposed to you know, wisely choosing the things that really are going to, to benefit and bless us? And I also thought about, she said, productivity is keeps us in a place of always wanting what's new, wanting to create what's new, wanting to get what's new. Whereas this, what I'm calling this gray space of doing nothing is much more about maintenance and care. And on just a practical level, I thought, how many face products do I have in my cabinet? Serums and creams and under eye concealer and moisturizers because I am subtly always on this quest for the 
look younger, have plumper, more moisturized, hydrated skin, whatever. And so I so often am buying something new before I've even fully used up what I have before and how ultimately inefficient that is. And it's something that I just started to think to myself, okay, I just got this whole new line of skincare products because my skin has been really dry. So what I'm using obviously isn't working. So yes, I need a change. I can justify that. But I thought if I start using this new regime and I see that it's made a difference, can I pull out an old set of what I was using and challenge myself like two days a week, you're going to use the old set so that over time you're using that stuff. It's not bad stuff. Yes, you clearly needed something else for the hydration in your skin. So you're trying this new line. But can I just be aware of those small times in my life when I'm always going towards the productivity and the busyness and the, the attention economy where someone has a financial incentive to keep me not saying, you know, I think what I have right now is probably good enough. And specifically in business, you know, we always, for my my fellow entrepreneurs, we always are growing in business. We want to be growing. And that means that we need to keep spending on stuff. You're going to have new hardware. Your computer breaks. You realize you need more RAM or memory space. So you up-level that. Your software. You had this one uh, way that you were housing your emails or you were making your landing pages and then you outgrow it. And so you need to go up. And in education, and you start spending more. I spend way more now on my coaches and consultants than I did when I was first starting out. And I spend more on my ads budget. All of that is good to be growing our business. And so it's not saying spending money is bad. Marketing is bad. Don't fall for any of it. Again, we tend to want to go into these black and white camps. I think it is not that. It is inviting us that, again, this this space of challenging ourselves to do nothing is giving ourselves more room to observe our thoughts and to ask ourselves questions like, why do I want to grow my business? And it's not, again, it's not just one answer. It's not black and white. But what are all the different shades and strengths of, I want to make more of an impact. I want to be of more service. I want to help more people. That's a beautiful reason to want to grow. I need to survive. My business is not financially viable yet. I'm not making enough money. I want to be able to set money aside for my family in case of emergency. That's great. Um, There's also components of it that are our ego, that I, I realize it is so easy to get pulled into. Well, it just seems like Your Instagram should always be growing. Your email list should always be growing. Your revenue should always be growing. The size of your team should always be growing. We are in this productivity, busyness as our default speed, as our default path. And she speaks about the rise of the entrepreneur, that this really has happened since around the 80s, a little before my time of consciousness. Uh, But she explains why this sort of began in the 80s and that specifically today with the advent of the internet, which I think was around the 90s, that we now have this 24-hour ability to monetize our every moment. That if you rewound to the 70s, people were not waking up at 6.30 in the morning to check their email to see if they had things to do before they got to work, and then also checking it again at 9.30 at night to see if there was anything else, and then also maybe being available on the weekends. I mean, you went into your job. It was very rare for you to get a phone call at home, and there was no email. And by the time someone mailed you something, they were just going to see you at the office the next day. So we now are in this state where every hour, for those of us that are 
uh, entrepreneurs. And, and again, entrepreneur is a broad term because there are so many people who make some money on the side. You sell essential oils, you have an Etsy shop, you do a little bit of graphic design work. Entrepreneur does not mean that you have to have this whole big business, but you have elements where you think, you know, I could make some money if I sold my stuff on Poshmark. You know, I probably could make some money if I started selling things on eBay. You know, people always say that they appreciate the way I do those crafts, and I probably could do that. And what I wrote in the margins of this book is, when time is money, rest is actively choosing less money. And in our present culture, so many of us are aware that we have the opportunity to make money. We have things that we could go on the internet and sell. And as you know, I'm a huge fan of that. I want to help people have more financial freedom in their life. I have had no money. I have never known how my budget was going to balance every single month. I have made so little money in New York City, I should have qualified for food stamps. I get having no money. And now, because I've created a business, I have that financial piece. And my husband's story is exactly the same. He had no money for so many years being a waiter, not really having a career path. And we are both so incredibly conscious. We talk about it so much as a couple, how being in a place where we have financial security, it just, it was not that long ago that we weren't there. So I am so passionate about helping other people get there. And I also want to talk about the other side of that, that I am starting to get to where I realize I do now have enough money, not like I can, you know, retire independently rich, but my my motivation Today is not, we got to make something happen by the end of the month, or I don't know how I'm going to pay the rent. You know, we're okay in that way. And so then I have had to be very aware during, during 2020, okay, so I could be making more money, and I'm making an active choice to choose rest, to choose spaciousness, to choose relationships, to choose doing nothing. And that is a very challenging mindset that really people don't talk about. We talk about all the ways to make more money and to manage our money and to be wiser with our money, but to really actively think, at what point am I going to be okay with less of that money? And with this, it is also so imperative to say that this is a privilege, (laughs) It is a privilege to be able to have and consider and adopt this mindset because it does require an element of economic security. Even if you're in a full-time job right now, but it really does not pay your bills and it is incredibly tight or you feel like it is unsafe, you you want to be using those extra hours to say, is there anything else I could do to like pick up side work or do something on the side because I need more income? So it it is is from that place of economic security. It's from the place of privilege of not working three jobs that you can even consider this conversation. And so I've been very cautious over the last couple of months as I've been noodling on this with some of my girlfriends. And I've said to them, I'm very hesitant to give advice on this space because I don't want to lose sight in any way of the fact that The reason I'm able to create this spaciousness and make this time to think and say no to the money is because I have enough. And heartbreakingly, so many people here in the United States 
specifically and all over the world do not have enough. But instead of not talking about it, it really compels me all the more so to want to help other people build their businesses, to want to help them grow to the place where they do have more of this privilege. It also makes me want to talk more about wh- what what happens in this place because I do have the privilege of getting to be here and getting to, as we said last week, even if right now you don't have all of the the time because you're so busy with COVID, I want you to be able to listen to me and say, well, when I do get to that place, I'm going to be better prepared for it because I've started on the mindset now. I'm not holding out this story that when I have time, everything will fall into place in my life. Because when you are less busy, when you have to don't have to be quite as productive as you might feel the panic and the anxiety to feel today, where we very often default then is all the way over to the left of the spectrum where we're just zoning out. And then we just feel guilty and we beat ourselves up for that. We don't often default to this in-between area. And I'm realizing it is in part because all of the consumeristic messages in our culture, it doesn't behoove anyone for us to be in this place. We are not financially profitable to organizations when we are in this place. And I've noticed, so one of the shifts here is really seeing moments as ends in, of themse- in and of themselves rather than as steps on the ladder. And I've been compelled in 2020 to realize how often, again, that the narrative of our culture goes from rung to rung. And I had a conversation with a good friend earlier this year where I said, I'm really rethinking this goal of having an eight-figure business, which if you're not in entrepreneurship, that may not really connect with you, but there is so much language in entrepreneurship of having a six-figure business where you have $100,000 or more as your revenue, not as your personal salary, but as what your business is generating in revenue. So getting to a six-figure business and then getting to a million-dollar business. And then now it's getting to an eight-figure business, a $10 million business. And that is so much of the story along the way. And part of that is not bad. Because again, so many businesses, we need that extra revenue in order to be able to survive, in order to thrive, in order to have that breathing room, to hire more help, et cetera, to spend more time with our families. Money is not a bad thing and those other metrics that we're chasing are not bad things. But at my stage, I really had to ask myself, where did I get this idea that a 10-figure business was going to make me happier? I think it's just what everybody talks about. But I started looking at the other people that have 10-figure businesses and noticing they talk a lot about being workaholics and the challenge in their marriage because they're always working and how they struggle to take time off. And I'm noticing that not a lot of them have kids and families. And I just really started to realize I don't think I want the life that these people are building. It, it works for them. I'm not saying that judgmentally. But I realize, what do I actually want my life to feel like that is my idea and not just the next rung on the ladder that I got from someone else? And my girlfriend said, that is so admirable that you are realizing that because it is so in our default to go after the next rung on the ladder. So in that way, pretty proud of myself for my mindset around my business. And then the other day, I'm out to dinner with my husband and I say, can I tell you what my new dream is? And he goes, are you always living in the future? Are you ever just 
happy with where things are in the present. And he kind of said it just as an aside. It wasn't meant to be this deep existential thing. But it has stuck with me ever since because I said, babe, that's such a good question and a very valid point. I don't know where the healthy balance is in thinking about having a family, thinking about buying a home, thinking about where we might live someday. Those aren't bad things. I'm not doing them for my ego. They are genuine things I think would make me happy and I want to have given them thought and research and time and consideration. It's not inherently bad, but you're right. The, as we talk about where we might live in the future, I am, li- I am spending more of my brain my, my, I'm spending, more of my thoughts are living in these potential future places as opposed to in our present home and life, which I love very much. But, I, but am I not appreciating the joy, the presence, observing the, the, the things that are around me, having simple conviviality in my life as it is because I am so in that present place? And really this slowing down where we have slowness and observation, it also allows us to have discussions like that. And it allows us to listen in ways that we don't have the space to listen to our own thoughts or what other people are saying when we're running so fast in productivity and busyness. And it's that space that allows us to evolve our thoughts and change our minds. And I think that is another area that has really come to light for me in 2020, specifically with everything that we started discussing about race relations and racism here in the U.S. in May. So much of what I've gleaned from that learning over the last few months is the importance of making the space to listen and discuss and consider so that we can evolve and change our minds and that we tend to be very black and white because when you don't have a lot of time to get into something, you don't want to let somebody unravel your little threads and open a whole Pandora's box. You just want to one and done. Let's keep it tight and right. Here's what I believe. End of story. Moving on. I'm just really not interested in having this discussion right now. This is my opinion. This is my political belief. This is my moral belief. End of story. And so, so much of our dialogue today comes on social media, where there is no reciprocal listening and discussion. I know if someone says an Instagram comment that is really disagreeing with me, it is very rare that my or anyone else replying to their comment, and I see this on my feed and I notice this in other people's feeds, it is highly rare when someone leaves a comment and the other person goes, oh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it that way. Now, I will say... I see this more on my account than I do on a lot of other accounts. And that is why I love you and why I love this community, because there is more humility to say, I don't have all the answers. And I think there's other really bright people in the world that have had other life experiences that I can learn from. And I'm okay having that flexibility. But I know in an Instagram comment, it is very rare. 
It's 50-50 in my Instagram DMs. I've had enough conversations in my DMs that have really led to a, a seeming growth and change that I will invest my time going in there. But I think it's because there is more of that personal consideration. I'm sending someone a lengthy response back. I'm sending them a voice memo. I'm watching the eight-minute video that they send me through, even though they're a stranger and I don't know them. But I will watch the eight-minute video so that I can actually say If this is what you're believing, I want to be able to find some concrete things in here that I can say. Here's some questions I would ask you to ask yourself and why I find that some of these statistics, you know, in this video are problematic or whatever it is. But in her book, Untamed, Glennon Doyle talks about how she has changed her mind on some of the things that she wrote in her previous books. She said, I said this and Oprah quoted me to me in an interview. And I was like, do you still feel that? And she said, absolutely not. I think it's so dumb that I said that. (laughs) She was like, I now realize I am going to keep evolving. She's like, I didn't put in a book at 33 something that I'm still going to necessarily believe is exactly true at 43. And I thought that is is the kind of person that I want to be. I think when you hear that, it feels inviting, Because we want to be people that evolve and grow, right? Become more mature, become more wise. We want to be the sage old, you know, wise 85-year-old woman someday. So that means that we've got to learn more along the way. And yet we live in a culture that is so black and white that there doesn't seem to be a lot of room or space for that. To say, actually, I've changed my mind can lead to a lot more feelings of, see, gotcha. I I, I knew that you were going to come around. I knew that I was right. Well, that doesn't really lead to a a very productive and safe space for that. So that comes more in conversation, in conversation where we are not just talking, but genuinely listening. And that's probably not going to happen on social media. It's going to happen when we're actually making space to have those conversations. And so going back to that spectrum, for me, this concept of how to do nothing and to be in this gray space actually is doing something because the binging TV, scrolling Instagram mindlessly, that's the real doing nothing. That's the real zoning out. Again, we do that a little bit. But if I'm reading a nonfiction book, if I'm having a great conversation, if I'm sitting and thinking, just being with my thoughts and journaling, that is doing something. I've shared the quote from this book that says, to do nothing is to hold yourself still to perceive what is actually there. When I'm watching The Bachelor, I am not holding my brain still to perceive what's actually there. I'm just being entertained. When I'm scrolling Instagram for you know the second hour and I'm on the Explore page and I've kind of seen everything that's here. I mean, I'll be honest, by the time I get to the Explore page, I'm not consuming anything valuable. The actual people I follow, the, and you know that I'm real a big fan of a curated list, so I only follow about 150 people, and they're there because they do edify me. They inspire me, whether that's with their outfits or their poetry or their quotes or their education or their information. But when I get over to the Explore page, that's when I, I'm kind of out of everybody that I normally follow, and now I'm just clicking on Bachelor memes. Now I'm just looking at other pe- random people's wedding photos. Like At this point, I'm not perceiving anything important that is actually there. 
So as we close, what I want to invite you to do today is something that I, uh, Jeremy and I have both been challenging ourselves to do which is kind of thinking in three categories. If you take that spectrum and you say, okay, all the way over on the left, what are the things I do when I'm purely just zoned out? They really have no value, but it's fine. I want to be able to have dessert every once in a while. I want to be able to have that within moderation. So for me, that might be watching TV. Again, depends what it is. If you're watching a documentary versus I, you know, you're watching trying to think of something super fluffy that we've been watching. But anyways, there is a balance there. Sometimes the shows even are thought provoking, even if it's a drama or something that you're watching, but you kind of have to decide how edifying is this or does it just let my brain rest? And all of our brains need rest so we can do some of those things. The the playing games on my phone. Yes, they're word games, they're educational games. But let's be honest, at the end of my life, is my life really going to be any better because I got to level 10 on my word playing game? Probably not. So these are the zoned out things. Then there is the busy and productive things. When I'm buying something, uh, when I'm earning money, when I'm planning for the future, when I'm doing things that increase my ego. Now, again, these aren't necessarily black and white because just because I'm researching future places where we might live, that doesn't mean that it also isn't edifying and, and it's it's helpful to my mental health to be able to picture where could we go in the future. You know, there's there's some things that are cuspy there and I don't think we can always say, oh, this for sure is only a productive thing. Sometimes those things are also edifying. But I think what's most interesting is to challenge yourself or invite yourself to say what goes under the edifying slash present category. What things decrease my activity? I'm sorry, (laughs) decrease my anxiety. What decreases my anxiety? Do I feel anxious when I'm on Instagram? Do I feel anxious when I'm looking for Airbnbs for us to stay in? Maybe yes, maybe no. But do I feel anxious when I'm subtly maybe when I'm creating something for business because what if somebody doesn't like it? What if it doesn't sell as well as you know, I like? Like really noticing what are the things that, that lower my anxiety? Doing a puzzle for me lowers my anxiety. It's not a pure zoning out. It's almost a little bit more meditative because I'm going to either be with my thoughts or I'm going to be listening to something edifying like a podcast. What decreases my envy? or at least it's not increasing my envy. If I'm on Instagram, if I'm researching stuff for business, if I'm out shopping, am I having any of that? Versus, I mean, no one cares that I finished this puzzle, um, you know, coloring in this coloring book. I'm not trying to, com- I'm not trying to make my photo better than anyone else's. It's just a coloring book that I'm doing while I'm on this phone call with my dad because it's nice to kind of multitask but the house is already clean, so I don't have something else to do. What am I doing when I'm not distracted? Um, and what do I, when I'm doing these edifying things, do I notice, this is a big one for me, do I notice how easily distracted I am? Because going on Instagram is, is you know, looking at people.com is a sugar hit. And sitting with a nonfiction book doesn't have as much of that instant dopamine hit. So I might be drawn to get distracted and to have to say, actually, this is the kind of thing I do that 
not as a distraction to something else. I have to actively get my brain to want to do this thing. Uh, What are activities that you are not monetizing? Again, there can be a little bit of crossover here for Jeremy. He uh, loves flying his drone. He makes incredible footage out of that. It is just that edifying creative outlet. He might monetize that someday. It's one of the things in the back of his mind. It's not the primary goal right now, but it, it is a part of it. And again, they sometimes are not black and white. What are you doing that has little financial benefit to others or you feel good about the financial benefit? So I asked you on uh, Instagram stories if you had any art resources to recommend. I was like, okay, guys, we have reached the six-month mark of quarantine, and we are officially losing it. We are officially realizing we are either productive or we're zoned out, and we don't have enough things in this edifying category. And it wasn't because I read this book and had come up with this. It was really a, a a juxtaposition of this is what's happening in our lives naturally. And simultaneously, I'm revising this book and prepping this podcast episode and realizing all of this goes together. So I said, we need some more activities that just feel edifying. And, we, and Jeremy and I had to talk about what is that? What are the things that are edifying? It lowers your anxiety. It's lowering your envy. It's not necessarily about your ego. Uh, it's not necessarily about making money. But it does feel like there is more spaciousness to it. It has something to do with your thoughts, your creativity, nature, art, relationships. So I'd asked if anyone had any recommendations. Like, I kind of want to start painting, but I don't know at all how to do that. I don't know where to begin. I have no natural aptitude for this. It just seems really nice and fun. And I've kind of always in the back of my mind thought it seemed relaxing, but told myself, well, I just can't. I don't know how to do that. So I probably would be bad at it. Well, I'm just willing to try anything right now. So yes, I spent $150 on Amazon buying paints and brushes and paper and books to like try out acrylics and watercolors and hand lettering and whatever. I feel good about those purchases though because yes, I had to spend some money to get paints and paintbrushes to be able to experience an edifying activity. Yes, I bought books created by artists and I am perfectly fine happy to go and support them. So we don't want to get into this legalism of these categories. It really is like a a watercolor blend of, is this a little more this or a little more that? But for me, it is things like being in nature, having conversations, learning, creating. It's noticing that I'm calling my parents more. I had a three-hour conversation with a girlfriend on Saturday on the phone, uh, doing puzzles, doing coloring books, wanting to explore painting, spending more time outside, all of that really in that edifying category. And I think ultimately this is so important Because it really is the way in which we become better just as human beings. (laughs) It's how we become more emotionally and mentally and spiritually healthy and aware because we we create this space for edifying spaciousness in our lives to be present. It's where we create the space to actually listen, to not just go off the headline and decide what we believe about that topic, but really explore more into it, to be more present, which all the ancient wisdom tells us about meditation, that people who meditate more are more present and people who are more present are happier. So I think this is another way to approach that without it being the specific use of a 10-minute meditation app, but sometimes saying it might be as simple as 
you know, teaching myself how to cook. And that's why everyone was making the banana bread loaves at the beginning of quarantine. But ultimately, this matters because we want to be better for ourselves. We want to be better for the people in our lives, our kids, our friends, our spouses, our teammates and colleagues, and also to create that space to genuinely care about social causes. I talked when we had our election back in January for local officials that with everything that was happening in race relations, I felt very convicted to realize I have not been knowledgeable enough about what happens in local elections. And local elections is really where the main change happens. Everybody focuses on the presidential election, but there is far less, honestly, that is happening at the federal level than there is that is affecting the school districts and the voting rights and the uh, the, the clinics that are available for healthcare and all of those things right in our neighborhoods. But I acknowledged it takes time. It is not the easiest thing. There's not one perfect one-stop shop website. Some of you guys gave me great resources. I believe League of Women Voters was one of them. It was really helpful to me. But I realized I was trying to educate myself the day before the election. And I was like, this is not a fast and easy process. I've got to commit next in future elections to start paying attention earlier rather than thinking I'm going to cram at the last minute because it's not there. It requires this space. But to me, that is part of being a better human is saying, if I am constantly chasing productivity and the attention economy, then I am just giving into the consumerism and the, the, the one thing after another and the never enough and going up one ladder. And that's all about me and my story, even though Again, these things are not black and white. I have a business that I believe wildly and deeply blesses people's lives and their hearts and their confidence and their healing. So yes, I am out here doing good work in the world. But also, what about the thing that has no monetary benefit? Me educating myself on what the issues are in my neighborhood and how that affects my neighbors that have less rights than me, that need someone to vote for them and on their behalf, that doesn't make anybody money. That doesn't make me money. That doesn't improve my stature in it, you know, in in standing in society in some way. So I think ultimately this is important because it is part of how we reclaim our humanity that I think so many of us are just feeling really depressed about lately. This has been a hard year. There's been so many hard things. And I think a lot of us are just starting to feel like, you know, hopeless and tired. And I'll be honest, as a white woman, then I realize, okay, wait, black women have been doing this for a lot longer than I have. It isn't fair for me to just get tired and and feel overwhelmed and helpless. That's not going to help anything. So what can actually help some, help something, help in some way? And I think it's this. I think it's really actively considering, exploring, and carving out what does this space look like in our lives between hustling and chilling so hard, between total uh, laziness, which is wonderful, and constant productivity and busyness. How do we create an edifying present for ourselves in the middle? So I want to close with three quotes from this book as final thoughts. So she goes back to Buddhism and Epicurus, and I really appreciated some of the way back context of how these are questions people have been struggling with for forever. 
This is not because we have Instagram. This is not because we have Facebook ads that are targeting the fact that we were just on that website and now it knows that we want that thing so it keeps serving us this ad. It has nothing to do with this. This is not just because of the pandemic and we're we're busier or we're slower. These are questions about the meaning of a life lived well that people have been asking for centuries. And so she says, uh, Epicurus taught that what man that man actually needed very little to be happy as long as he had recourse to reason and the ability to limit his desires. I That's kind of, a, I'll be honest, it's a hard sentence for me to unpack. The, he had recourse to reason and the ability to limit his desires. I had to think on that one for a long time to say, okay, what it's saying is as long as man has space to think, to say, do I keep wanting more clothes? Do I keep wanting more Instagram followers? Do I keep wanting a bigger house? If I limit my desires to say, you know, I have five really close girlfriends that I call when I need and that's enough. I don't need to constantly be chasing the next thing. And it said, the disturbance of the soul cannot be ended nor true joy created either by the possession of the greatest wealth or by honor and respect in the eyes of the mob or by anything else that is associated with causes of unlimited desire. Because where does that unlimited desire come from? It comes from more money, more ego, more status. And it says, I think we found the answer to the universe was quite simply, just spend more time with your friends. Now, that then gets into the conversation that we've had many times around feeling like, does everyone else have more friends than me? Do people have more connections than me? What do I do? when I'm feeling lonely. But I think if we if we give that a little bit of breathing room from friendship and we just say, it's about spending time with people that you care about, that you are having intentional conversations with, you are listening, you're learning, they are challenging you in good ways, not in combative Instagram comments, but really in, you know, I hadn't thought about it that way. That is what I think is saying when we are in this space where we are growing and we have that palms up attitude to grow with the, the people around us that isn't purely in solitude and that it is in community. And sometimes that means I learned more about my neighbors, not because we were necessarily friends as we hung out all the time, but I just started to be more curious and listen more as to what was happening in my neighborhood to see, is there something more that I can be doing to help? Not because... It makes me more money or, you know, increases my ego. Uh, second quote is, it says, There is a significant portion of people for whom the project of day-to-day survival leaves no attention for anything else. This is why it's more important for anyone who does have a margin, even the tiniest one, to put it to use in opening up margins further down the line. If you can afford to pay a different kind of attention, you should. I think that just gets me um, choked up because I do so acknowledge what a privilege it is that there are so many people that are just desperately trying to work to get food on the table and work far too many jobs at a you know minimum wage that is far too low, that live in constant fear of something happening because they don't have health insurance, because we don't have universal health care here in the States. And I just think the empathy and the compassion for that and to realize while we all have our own 
goals, dreams, hopes, desires, heartbreaks. It doesn't mean that there aren't incredibly hard and challenging things in your life. But this phrase of even the tiniest margin to help put it to use in opening up margins farther down the line. And I think that that is by us leaning into this more, we start to embody it more. We start to model it for the people around us. We start to think about how is it that I am so blessed and privileged? What could I do to help other people have this? Because me having, you having margin in your life takes nothing away from the margin in my life. And I think unfortunately that is so the story the polarizing political story that we are sold that says, if somebody else gets more rights, it takes away your rights. And I think that is one of the greatest lies of the devil that creates discord and conflict and has us not helping our fellow neighbor because we realize, I I want this spaciousness to think and evolve and be be present and be a more thoughtful human being. And I want that for everyone. So I'm going to fight for it for myself and then I'm going to fight for it for you as well because that is a better planet for all of us to live on. And then this final story that I absolutely loved, it was someone who had uh, coincidentally just been to a workshop with something called the Prejudice Lab. And she returned that day to her hotel And she saw two people in the lobby wearing worn, rumpled clothes with ragged holes in the knees. A story about them formed in her mind before she could catch it, wherein they couldn't possibly be guests of the hotel and must have been friends of the clerk. It was a tiny, insignificant story, a minor assumption. But that's how bias starts, as a flicker, unseen, unchecked, that taps at behaviors, reactions, and thoughts— Afterwards, I kept watching for that flicker, that flutter, watching for it, catching it, and holding it up to the light, releasing it, and watching for it again. And that really has been such a gift to me in this season as I've created more of this space to do nothing. I have noticed so many of those flickers of thought. I have talked about them in uh, noticing a thought I have about another woman's body, positive or negative. Her butt looks really good in that. Her butt looks large. Why do I have that fleeting thought in my brain? Why have I become someone that is just so used to having thoughts about other people's bodies? Well, and this is important because then it comes back to the opinion and self-shame that I have about my body. So I'm noticing those flickering thoughts. What are the flickering thoughts that you notice about your friend or your mother or your spouse that you make that assumption that they're selfish in that way, that they're passive aggressive in that way, that they're thoughtless in that way, whatever it is, we really start to notice what is that flickering thought that I'm having. And I think through noticing those tiny flickering thoughts, it helps us be better humans in our own mental and emotional awareness. It increases our ability to have better relationships with the people around us, those kind of people that I just mentioned. And it also allows us to be just more kind humans for the world at large, think about others, honor one another with our thoughts and feelings, even if we're never saying anything aloud, notice those biases, create a place in our hearts and minds where we have more compassion, where we have more space to hold ourselves still to perceive what is actually there. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately. Well, two things really. Number one is when you share this podcast on your Instagram stories. Truly, it is the best way to get 
the word out and have other people listen. If you found that there was anything in this episode that you think is valuable and there is someone that you can share it with via text in a Facebook group or on your Instagram stories and tag me, I would be so appreciative because I really truly do believe that this content is important and that it is not the kind of thing I hear talked about very often precisely because it is not monetizable. It is not beneficial and it is the the core of so much of my teaching that I really hope that it blessed you and that you can think of other people that you believe will bless. Imagine if everyone in our immediate worlds was working on this in our lives and encouraging one another in this, how much easier it would be. We're constantly giving ourselves permission to be productive and we're lovingly encouraging one another to like not give in too much of the sh- to the sugar on- and dessert of zoning out and to do things that are edifying and we're sharing ideas and then we're all becoming better humans. We're more gentle friends in that. We're all looking out, you know, for humanity. I just really get so excited at the idea of this community leaning into this message, sharing it, amplifying it, the impact that it have. All right, that's my soapbox. The other thing that I'm loving lately is your advice on art supplies that I mentioned in this episode because of talking about on Instagram stories. I ordered those and we will see. I will let you know. I will give you some updates on Instagram stories. And here's the thing. It might flop. I might realize that I am horrible at painting and I'm so bad at it that it's just not at all satisfying and I'm not making progress as quickly as I thought, or it's just messier, or I don't even know what the things are. But I've been kind of wistful about this idea of how cool it would be to be someone who paints. And I've just noticed that over time. It's not a big thing, but just a little thing. And I'm so passionate that it is better to try and to know. And I have this conversation so often with people in my life that have the option to go move to another city for three months because their lease is up. And my saying, girl, go try it. You've, you've talked for three years about, about whether or not you would be happier there. Go try and see. You know that Jeremy and I do that with going places. Um, I feel the same thing about business. The doors for Creative Business Accelerator, uh, if, if you are hearing this before they have closed, then check that out. If they've closed, hop on the wait list. But I want to help people with a really affordable, easy way to try the idea that they have, whether that's for a business or whether it's the next product in their business. I think there's so many things in life that we think are so much further away. They have to, all the perfect pieces have to be in place. We have to know all of the things. And even yesterday, as I was ordering all of that stuff off of Amazon, I had to just tell myself, just just pick a book. Just pick a book. There are so many books here. Make the decision. You are not going to spend two hours waffling over which book to pick. Just either pick one book and be fine with it. Or on one of the one of the categories, I picked three books and I was like, I'll return two of them. Yes, that means it's some work for me to have to slap a label on UPS and walk over. But I just decided that that was a better use of my time to put on a podcast and get some fresh air rather than stand here and stare at my computer screen for another 20 minutes trying to make a decision. So what I am loving lately is trying new things not knowing that they will work, but at least giving them a whirl and not investing too much time and money up front so that I can just try. And I don't believe you will ever regret that investment to simply say, now I know. Now I know that I didn't love that. Now I know that that didn't work. And what a better place to be in than thinking, if only I was this, or if only I had the courage, or if only I had the money, or if only I had the time. So take action today. Join me inside Creative Business Accelerator. Share this message on 
Instagram stories, come over to the website and give me your ideas of future topics or questions you would like to talk about here. And truly make this list for yourself of what are your zoned out activities? What are your busy productive activities? And what are some more things that you could add into that edifying presence? And let's continue this conversation as always over on Instagram with grace and gumption. Till next Wednesday.